Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. This is where success happens. A member of the industry syndicate, Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. I have the distinct pleasure this morning to, to join two of my great friends from the mortgage business, Mike Hardy and Rick Mount. They are co-managing partners of the California division of Churchill Mortgage and uh, really solid, solid leaders, guys that really care about their teams. And I thought it'd be really cool to have a leadership interview uh, during uh, these times of just kind of uncertainty, you know. And so I thought I'd start by I've got an email in front of me from uh, from Mike and Mike sent it out to his team. It's a kind of a regular email that he sends out to make sure everybody's kind of in the right headspace. And this is dated the 30th of March. So kind of right at the front end of COVID. And, uh, he said, here's a summary of this morning's check-in call. Superior people find a solution to every problem. Okay. An intense problem stimulates creativity. This challenge right now is a gift. You have to find the gift in the struggle. Each of you will have an opportunity to rise. You must first decide to rise. You've done the work for the last two years. You're ready for this. Protect your morning routines. Protect your mind. And then my favorite bullet, this is not a virus of the mind unless you allow it to be. Welcome, guys. Good to see you. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. I love watching you guys lead. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's substantial to see just in, in times like we're in right now, the value of leadership whether you're a loan originator leading a small team, your team of realtors, whether you guys are you know, leaders of an entire geographical region, leadership is so, so, so important. So I thought I'd give each of you maybe a couple minutes just to riff. Just tell everybody um, what's on your mind about leadership and what do you see happening. And guys, if you're listening live and you want to post a comment, just go ahead and do that in the live comment section and uh, we'll 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 hit it. We'll hit it as they come up. So, guys, tell us tell us about leadership. Let's start with you, Mike. Sure, sounds good. Well, I think uh, first of all, I I've felt this way a long time, but I think this business, the mortgage business, is really the world's best kept secret. And I think something that I particularly appreciated is that it's got aspects of it that allow um, each individual's unique strength to rise. And that was something that uh, just became very apparent to me a number of years ago. In fact, when I first started coming to your events back probably 15 years ago or so. Um, But since that time, um, it's become, I've become fascinated with the topic of maximizing human performance and the development and capabilities of each individual and really thinking about it from a unique strength standpoint. Just like there's a saying, which is, um, well, first of all, there's what 7.7 billion people on this planet. And the crazy part to me when I start thinking about that is that no one person, like we're not clones, like every single individual has unique characteristics and strengths and, and a streak of genius. Like my, my personal belief is that part of our um, our journey on this planet is not just to, it's, it's more to like identify that streak of genius, uh, refine it, and then productively apply it in everything in all areas of life. And of course, that includes what our respective business is. So the overall thinking is that first of all, it's, we have the best business in the world, hands down, like my personal opinion, number one. Number two, we're created uniquely um, and we're created to 
not just to take, but really we're created to serve. And we end up benefiting in that process of serving. Um, but all of that from a leadership standpoint, um, that's really important. It's just like a core conviction is to help people, um, I think, do two things, cut free of the past, unhealthy things in the past, and then, then to um, move and grow into a future that's tied very much to what their unique um, God-given talents and strengths are. Yeah. No, I love that. You get people aligned with what they're gifted at and you have the right attitude that um, we're going to serve to get rather than go to get and uh, and everything changes. The entire paradigm changes. And uh, I don't think anybody will ever be disadvantaged by having the caring heart, the intellectually caring heart, and then obviously the caring soul around their gifts. 100%. How about you, Rick? Thank you, buddy. It's good to see you. It's been a long you time. You too. About that. <laughs> 91, 92 we go back to, but uh, um, Isn't that crazy? thanks for having us. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think Mike and I, it was probably a decade ago, we said, who do we have to become to attract the people we would want to serve? Mm. And so I think our journey started a while ago and we're seeing the benefits today, but it hasn't been an overnight process. And I think a lot of it had to start with internal growth, like what you had to do inside to become the person that could lead people. Um, and some of that means you got to deal with some of your own stuff, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, the saying I always learned uh, a couple of years ago is you can't pour from an empty cup. And so I think uh, Mike and I have worked really hard to make sure that we put some routines in place for ourselves so that we can pour into other people and help them and, and find their unique giftings and things like that. And we're learning, too. A lot of times, I think in the old days of management, you kind of found people that were professionally gifted and put them in their professional spots. But maybe the internal person, the person itself was ignored in that. So we're seeing some amazing benefits with our, our amazing team every day on making sure they're healthy on the inside and making sure they're right so that they can continue to go serve the people that we're called to serve every day. And it's been amazing to watch our team grow over the last few years. Mike's really poured a lot into it, was really the, uh, you know, the thought leader and in, in taking us down that path of, of continuing to do that. So I think it's it's fun for us every week to watch our team grow and and uh, that fires Mike and I up to keep doing the stuff that we do and the families that we get to serve. Mike said, I, I think the mortgage business is one of the best kept secrets. I yeah. think, you know, we get to serve people, families every day in the heart of what's important to them, the home over their head where they raise families, creating wealth, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. And we get to we get to meet them in that spot every day. So. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, I just thought I would I would show this just to tell you the impact you've had on me. So I told Deb about you can't you can't pour from an empty cup, and uh, she bought me this. Oh man. So my I, cup is always my cup is always full. <laughs> so you guys, uh, I think last year you guys did about a quarter of a billion as a branch, and and year to date you're on track to to exceed that, obviously, um, you, you guys have taken your, your branch and you're now expanding throughout, you know, the region that you now get to, to run. What's the toughest challenge you guys are dealing with today? Hmm. <laughs> You'll probably get two different answers from Mike and I. That's okay. What's the, the toughest one you're dealing with, Rick? I think capacity. I think, you yeah. know, we got so many families to serve and how do you do them? How, how do you serve them in a way that's efficient um, and protect your people at the same time? Like, you know, you, 
we've talked a little bit in some of the high trust, but you got to know your own capacity. You got to know your team's capacity and make sure that you don't allow too many people on the boat and you sink your boat in the process. So I think finding ways to continue to be the value that we are to the marketplace and, and help the families, but also protect your team and, and do that. So what's close to my heart every week is finding different efficiencies and capacity that give us more time to help more people without the compromise of the quality of the life for our team. And that's, that's a challenge. Our, our, we're all grinding. I think our industry as a whole is grinding right now. So for us, that's, that's, a, that's a big, big challenge today. Yeah, and I want to circle back maybe on some of the discoveries you've made. I've got some questions I want to ask you. But, Mike, what's from your vantage point, if it's any different than Rick's, I think everybody that's in the mortgage space understands the capacity issue right now. And, and we can't we can't suffer breakage every day. So it's a delicate kind of balancing act to continue to deliver a world-class experience in times like this and not overcommit what you can do and also be sensitive to your teammates and the just the sheer volume of personal energy that they're applying to this season. What's your toughest challenge, Mike, from your vantage point? Um, I'm going to say it's really, for me, it's been more a combination of two things. It's been um, managing my own emotions and the emotions of everyone of the group as a whole, just simply because of the rapid change that we've gone through. Uh, and then, you know, also this, as you were asking the question, what came to mind is I think it's an Aristotle saying, but it's first we create our habits and then our habits create us. And so with all of the, the health crisis, there's been so much change that's taken place. I've found it's um, it, it's been, and I'm super disciplined and our group is super disciplined just across the board, but to start to fall out of the healthy routine, um, it's almost like there's, there's needed to be this new level of conviction not to let go of the healthy routines. And I know personally that if I'm not on point every single morning, the day just does not go the right direction. And then the week and the month. And so it's been the, 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 it's been an additional, just, um, absolute test of will to be able to keep those healthy things in place. And then also just given, you know, we moved 36 people from the office to work out of the house. And, you know, then there's all kinds of just different related issues. So there's all kinds of, I would say the emotional management across the board has been about three times what it normally would be on any given, given day. So, um, you know, the fortunate aspect is that business has been, of course, super strong. So it's been, it's been more of a challenge of just getting into healthy routines and then the emotional management that comes with change. I say that's where I've uh, had the struggles and had to step up. Yeah. So we, we know you guys, uh, you, Rick, you're in elite right now. Mike, you were in elite for two years. We know that routine sets you free. We know that emotional connection is what engages a team and engages, you know, a customer to that team. Um, one of the questions that was posted is from both of your vantage points, going back, Mike, to kind of your opening comment, I think that it is absolutely critical to continue to understand what unique strengths team members have and how can we as leaders um, exploit that strength in a very positive, energetic, synergistic way. And so one of the questions is, um, what do you guys do to to really help get your team most of the day in their strengths position and their what John Wooden calls their shot spot, you know, the place that they are the most gifted that they can do the the greatest contribution for the team. Do you have some secret sauce there in terms of what you've done and how you've gotten the whole thing kind of operating consistently that way? 
Um, yeah, you know, it starts, we do, um, well, a couple things. It's going to even start with the right people beforehand. So there's, I'll call them like the five C's. Um, we, there's five things that we're looking for. And anytime we're going to hire, whether it's a loan officer or operations, and it's character, competence, caring, um, courageous, and coachable are the five C's. And so that's the filter up at the very front and knowing, having that filter um, of course, it starts with the character side because people with the right character, that's somebody that's worth investing in. Of course, you know, you have to have a high level of competence and, and then truly care about the client and about people around you. So that's been really the, the starting point in the filter. Um, from there, then it moves to what is the highest and best and unique strength for each individual. So part of the process up front, even before having an in-person interview is we'll have somebody complete a uh, disc profile. And then also um, there's a values index as well. So we can just start to better help understand what truly motivates somebody. So there's a lot of both art and science, of course, in the interview process. I think, you know, so much of it comes from doing it wrong for so long. Um, but those are, those are two things up front. And then from there, once you get to know somebody, it's kind of a you know slow adjustment to move job descriptions around what those natural strengths are. So the theory and the thinking is that when somebody is in their highest and best, it's like for me, administrative work is exhaustive. Okay. For someone else, it's like the ultimate fulfillment to go through and it's just, it's energy positive as to energy negative. So once we can start to see what's energy positive, what's energy neutral, and what's energy negative for each person aligned with experience and, and natural uh, competency in that area, then it's sort of a slow progression. Usually we can start fairly accurate out of the gate. Uh, but then we'll just do slow movements over time. So that's really been one of the things. And again, it sounds when I'm saying it, it sounds like we have it all together. It's like, no, there's a there's there's speed bump and we hit a curb and hit a telephone pole, all kinds of things we're figuring out along the way. But that's the thinking and we continue to just move it positively in the right direction. Well, I mean, even even for everybody watching this, um, just the idea of of having those five C's, I mean, to have a initial filter that you don't even make it to the interview unless there's some way in which that can be demonstrated and uh, and validated early on. Rick, from your vantage point, what what have you seen in your culture as you guys de develop the kind of right fitting of people? I think it's a, as Mike said, it's a huge question, and I think most of our most of our angst in business is when we're having people doing stuff that they're either not as good at, not pas passionate about, or we haven't taken that job description and really looked at the 80-20 on that. What's your perspective as um, a co-managing partner in this in this uh, venture on, on just right-fitting people? You know, Todd, I'll go back. I think it was probably uh, ALE in 2014 when we talked about the cost of hiring the wrong people. And you know, Brian Bomar talked about his hiring process. We had Darren Hardy there. Like, I still have notes that I reference back to that. That. And uh, I think that's when Mike and I decided to get really clear about um, the people we wanted. And, and as we got really clear about the people we wanted, it's really obvious two things, who fits and who doesn't fit. And I think a lot of times we, you know, Mike and I are guilty. We can see potential in people. We don't always see dysfunction. And so we had to incorporate <laughs> our team into that to help us maybe see what's below the the waterline or the iceberg theory a little bit. And um, as you start to do that and you hire people, the collective health of our group, I don't think has ever been better. And I'm not talking about the physical health, but the emotional health, the just the being, you know, what they want to do. So I think that's allowed us to 
um, better serve more people. And then the healthier group gets, it's kind of the tide rises the whole ships. So everybody's getting healthier and feeding off of each other. And, and you discover leaders that you didn't know you had because they step up and they step out because they feel like there's a better environment. And then I think it's really helped us. Um, you know, we've learned some tough lessons. We've lost some good people because we weren't aware of where they were at, you know, and, and, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, your cell phone works really good when it's plugged into the wall and it never goes out of charge. But if you leave somebody in a position too long that they're not naturally gifted for, they're smart, they work hard, they'll figure it out. But it's like a cell phone that just starts to gradually drain. And at some point in time, it's empty. And so we've learned some things, like Mike said, sometimes we hit curves or run right into the telephone pole along the way. But I think as we've gotten clear about the five C's, it's really helped us become in a position to serve our people better because we're more aware of where they're at and then they grow because of that. And then they're serving more people. So it's really this amazing roll down effect. So let me ask a question of you both just randomly. What is your definition of servant leadership? Uh, Got it. Um, I would say it is meeting people where they are having a heart to understand what is important to them and then helping accelerate their path toward growth into the future. Wow. Uh, that That's a soundbite right there. <laughs> Rick, Rick, try to top that. <laughs> hey, Todd, welcome to my daily world. Right? <laughs> Every day. So, um, you know, I, Todd, I think it starts with your attitude inside. Like, do you really want to help your team get better? And I, I don't, you know, they say you can't fake genuine, right? And I think oh, you have wow. to, you have to really become genuine in your desire to want to go help other people. And I, it doesn't matter what role you play. If it's the originator serving the family or the partner on the front end of the transaction or the homeowner assistant that's helping make the process a little bit easier, it really doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, we all have to make a choice to want to serve others. And when that's genuine, I think the other stuff sort of becomes secondary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would concur with that. Um, so here's a question that just came in from uh, Trevor. He says, with regards to the capacity challenge, um, have you staffed up and or realigned existing roles or some combination of that? Do you have some specifics you can share with everybody that's going to be watching this either live right now or in the next uh, week or so about how you guys have kind of balanced the capacity issue? I, I know there's no perfect way to do it, but I think I think managers have a hard job right now. They have a hard job with capacity for, for the reasons you've already talked about, but then also just kind of lowering the standards in tough times to hire bodies instead of to hire pieces that fit the puzzle. Um, do you guys have comments on, on, on realigning and or hiring and staffing? And then I have another question I want to ask on team building. Yeah, we've talked at nauseum about this. So just I mean, think about where to start here. Um, there's one of the things that I notice is inherent to a lot of folks in the mortgage banking business is that they come from at a place of scarcity rather than a place of abundance. And so number one, starting from um, a an upfront underwriting filter and deciding and getting really clear about who you want to serve and why for each individual. And then there's, um, cause all of this has to do, this is, we all know this, this is garbage in garbage out. And so we want to make sure that we can protect, um, the operations team and then, and allow and empower like each originator on the front lines to be able to do this really well, but also help to shape the thinking in the system to be able to create the efficiencies all the way through the process. So, one of the questions up front, we talk about it all the time with each client is not like this isn't a season to be like a no, a lone 
manipulator or, or loan? How can we force it through the system or find a way? And, and of course, like there's, you know, there's certain circumstances and I kind of look at it like the concept of tithing, for example, there's some situations where you just feel called and you want to help someone and they're in a tough situation. It's like, Hey, that I'm going to help this person figure this out. Um, and it's right on the edge, whatever the case may be, but we have to balance the mind and the heart. And, and it's not easy to do that. And so like the, there's a saying which floats around here quite a bit, which is be a leader, not a savior. Okay. You can't save everybody because you end up, you know, drowning yourself if you're trying to save everybody. So one of the questions up front is for each, each person is to ask the question, would I loan my own money to this person and why? And assign level one to a five to that. We have five questions that we go through up front. That's one of them is would I loan my own money to this person? Because it's a different game right now. And so if I can't say yes to that, when the dust settles, this is ending up, you know, pooled in our securities. And there's grandma on the other end of this that's depending on this for her income. So I think we need to change our thinking on the very front. And as we do that, let's call it, you know, of course, 80-20 applies to everything. But as we do that on the front end, we end up doing a huge service all the way through the system because we've started with the right filters up front. I love that. And before I forget, I'd love to know the other four questions. But uh, uh, Rick, go ahead. Your your sense on on staffing capacity and whatnot. And and by the way, something something is magical about how you guys lead. I can just I feel it and I see it and I can understand um, why you guys are doing as well as you're doing and why you have been partners for so long. Because there's just this there's just kind of this chemistry between the two of you that's really, I think, dramatic. Um, Rick, what's your sense on on capacity and some of the things that that you guys have done in terms of realigning, repositioning, empowering? Yeah, you know, Todd, that's such a challenging question for everybody, right? There's so many different ways that you can attack that. So one of the things that we try to do is it really starts, Mike alluded a little bit to it, but it's day one quality. Um, something we've learned early on in our career from other mentors at some great places we've been, but it really starts at the upfront conversation with the customer, making sure we're asking the right questions so that we know that we can serve them and then transferring that knowledge. So if you lack day one quality, I don't care how good your operations is going to be. You're going to have, you know, I, I use dumb airplane analogies all the time and our staff laughs all the time, but like, it's like putting an airplane out on the runway that can't take off or worse yet, you put it in the air and you don't have landing gear. Right. And you're building the airplane. <laughs> I think we've learned a long time that you can't you can't build it while it's in the air. It starts up front. And if we do that, that creates capacity because we're working on people that are committed to us, that we're committed to them and that we know that we can land the plane, if you will. And so that's really affected our capacity. Our, our team's been amazing at cooperating and collaborating with us to do that. Um, I think one of the we, we've hired, but we haven't hired like the underwriter or the processor or the, the namesakes that you would typically think to help, but we've hired support people in and around those positions to free them up, to keep them back into their highest and best use. And we're learning along the way. It was like, you know, I think uh, Dave Ramsey talked to our group not too long ago and he said, you know, where there's pressure, there's invention. You talked about that yeah. Yeah. Of when we were talking. And so it's forcing us to innovate and, and look at how we do things. And so we continue to strip away friction points that are unnecessary, challenge the status quo. Um, one of the toughest things we did was sort of ration the amount of refinances each originator could originate weekly. 
Um, it did two things, protect how many people we let on the boat at once so we could protect our operations staff and their psyche, or we'd like to think that we're doing that. Um, and then also it forces you to go through the decision of who do you give your golden ticket away to, right? If right. You, if you got a venue that only holds 100,000 people and there's 500,000 people that want in, you're pretty selective. And so it's taught us to do that until we knew that we could effectively open capacity and serve those families in the way that I think that we have committed to doing. And that's helped us a lot as well. Yeah, no, that's a solid answer. I think, you know, it's really important that no matter what market we're in, we understand that quality always, the higher the quality always produces more capacity. It's that straightforward, right? Less breakage, less drag, less friction, less negative customer experience. So quality is is absolutely critical. Um, talk briefly about the rationing concept, because I know there's still a boat ton of refinances out there and, and we don't want to break the break the back of the of any organization. And I don't think I don't think your comment uh, is like the first comment that every leader wakes up with every day, and that is how can we ration refinances? So just give us your two cents on that. And then I want to get back to one other question uh, before we run out of time. So go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I, Todd, it goes back. Mike talked about it. The number one question we ask is, you know, would you loan your money to them? But then the challenges we're having around not only the the ability to serve the client, but you know, in the world of COVID, where unemployment is skyrocketing, and as a lender, that's one of the four C's that we have to talk about, right? Like, you know, are they employed? You know, we can't fund if they're not, or the forbearance and all those things. So, you know, we ask our people to go back to the original term of a loan officer mentality. Mike brought that up at the group a few weeks ago. But, you know, when we got into the business, a loan officer is what we were called. You weren't an originator, right. you weren't the business development guy, you were an officer. And so we've asked our people to kind of develop that mindset of be the loan officer here, help us guard the gates. And that looks like, you know, are, are the people committed to us? You know, do they do they find value in our process? Because if they don't, we can't really serve them. Um, are they eligible, right? Um, is there a borrower benefit to them? Um, and so I think one of the challenges we have is there's a lot of people that, you know, hear the Fed rates go to zero and they think mortgage rates are there too. And so you got the guy that's at three and a quarter that wants the three, you know, on a 30 year fix, can't originate a pipeline full of those and serve people because it may or may not be available. And so, you know, the borrower benefit was there. And then we, we do get into a little bit about how do you feel about your job so that we can better serve the, the customer. So there's a list of things that we go through or ask our originators to have those day one quality conversations up front. And that is really protected our fallout. You know, we still have every week, we have clients that unbeknownst to them get furloughed or something negative happens because yeah. of the so, but if we originated a pipeline full of those things without asking, we would go do a lot of work and put a lot of families on hold for families that we couldn't ultimately end up serving. So it's a challenge. Every week we we adjust um, and are looking to open more capacity and, and uh, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, with the secondary marketing things that were going on and what product you could or couldn't deliver and how do you control the front end funnel and protect your ops team and have a loan that you can deliver into the marketplace later? I mean, that's that's been the fun game over the last 60 days. Everybody's been playing. So it's helped us a lot, I think. Um, some some out of dumb luck, some out of intentionality. So, yeah. Yeah. Mike, it looks like you wanted to jump in on this, too. Oh, I was just going to say the five. I don't know the questions exact, but we can share them. But they're around five different areas. Number one, would I loan my money to them? Yes or no. And we have to answer a five down to a one on each so we can score each loan. Number two is the level of the benefit to the client. 
if it's a refinance, right? Are they dropping from four eight seven five to three and a quarter, or are they dropping from three and a half to three and a quarter? We know the likelihood of that disappearing is much higher. So benefit, whether it's cash out or not, how complex the loan is. If it's super simple, we know that. I mean, from a velocity of money, velocity of business, we can move that through yeah. the system. Um, commitment level from the client. And then the likelihood of them being able to their level of confidence in their employment for the next six months. So those are the themes for the top those five questions. I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, so we're uh, we're hitting towards the end of our our half an hour together. We could go for another day on on, on dialoguing with you guys, and that might uh, that might that might create a uh, a next action with us. But I I liked one of the questions, and I think we could probably end with this. There's a lot of friction in America in mortgage lending on over controlling teams, um, empowering teams, the fear in between and all of that. And I think one of the questions, Rick, that you had kind of sent over was, you know, what what can we do to empower our team? And so the question is, what would you guys advise any branch manager, any regional manager, any any CEO on this this idea of of an empowered workforce is the the most exciting way to build culture and the fear of your workforce, your team doing something wrong and over managing is the start of ruining the dream. What is your guys' two cents each on empowerment? You know, Todd, it goes back to the hiring process. If you hire people with the five C's, Mike and I can let go a lot easier and, and we're recovering control addicts, right? <laughs> it's, it goes back to that. And then I think, you know, we ask all the time, where are you at? Where are you at? We ask every one of our people, where are you at? And we use the one to five scale, just easy for us. We're not super smart. Yeah. So we try and keep it really simple, but one to five, where are you at? And I think when you know where your people are at, you can serve them. And then, you know, a question that we've taken away from you is, you know, what do you need to win here? And if we know where they're at and we know what they need to win, part of my biggest job is I'm like chief obstacle remover. Now I got to go clear the field. So you can <laughs> chief <win>. obstacle remover. <laughs> that's really what I do, right? I mean, Mike would tell you that's probably my biggest function is I'm the COR, chief obstacle remover, so that people can do their stuff. That's cool. Mike, your thoughts on empowerment? Um. Less is more for one, right? Remove the clutter, expect more from each person. I think people for the most part will rise to the level of expectations that are set for them. Um, a big one that's been a more of an aha moment for me just over the last few years is belief in someone, seeing something in somebody that they have not been able to see themselves and helping to draw that out. And then uh, frequent check-ins just to make sure that there's uh, accountability and guardrails. Um, Warren Buffett had a saying, which I thought was super insightful, and it was the chains of habit are too uh, light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. And so we all have these these habits that are in place. So part of it is first identifying that and then working because people can't will themselves out of like bad behavior. So then it's yeah. helping to like course correct that. Um, but those are the things I think that have helped over the over time help uh, be really less is more leadership. Um by expecting more at the same time, but the biggest one has been belief in people. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the philosopher Goethe said that if you treat somebody as they are, they will remain that. Mm -hmm. If you treat somebody as they are becoming what they could become, they in fact will become that. So this belief in people is the lid 
that I think suppresses most organizations. And that starts with hiring the right people. It's hard to have high belief in somebody that was the wrong hire. It's easier to have high belief in somebody that you feel in sync with. And so I, I love that. The other thing I want to remind all of you guys as leaders who are watching this live is this, this whole idea on habits. I mean, the, the big habits do not get changed in 21 days. I mean, the big habits take, in many cases, six or seven or eight months and purposeful change to really become new and, and automatic habits. And I think most managers give up too quickly on that. And I think most originators have a, a, a flawed concept of, of why habits are, are good or bad in the first place. And if we don't know that below the surface stuff, that iceberg kind of stuff, if we don't really know what's truly important to us, we won't challenge the habits we're, we're in and, and we won't understand how limiting they actually are and how they do hold us back. I think both of you guys are high belief leaders. I think you have inspired leadership characteristics. And it's interesting that when you have a culture around inspiration and belief, people rise to that. And if you don't, People get scared and, and they won't take initiative and they won't innovate and they won't come up with ideas that can benefit the team. So my final question to each of you is what's the biggest piece of advice you'd like to offer the mortgage world from a leadership standpoint? 30 seconds each. Well, that's a good one. Um, all right. Let me speak from the heart for a minute. Um, the mortgage world that the we the service we do and the gift we give people uh, is is ties back into healthy family structure. So what we do on a day to day basis is way beyond just helping people be more efficient with their money. Um, it has to do with security and safety and foundation of families, and that actually is what contributes to a healthier society. So. Um, I would say never underestimate the power and impact that we can have in the lives of the people we serve. Love that. Love that. Rick? Yeah, I get to follow this guy all the time. I know, right? <laughs> I get to go first next time. Um, you know, Todd, I would say love on your people. I, I mean, if you love on your people, they're going to love on your customers and your partners. And if you do that, your customers and your partners are going to love on your company. Yeah. And I think that's the cycle. And, and it starts from a position of, you know, what you say, trust you know, and, and, and having the ability and desire to want to go serve. So we talk about everybody in our team has a role and they're serving someone. And I think it's, it starts with, you know, us wanting to serve everybody else too, so that we can put them in the best position. But just love yeah. I love it. Simple. Love it. Love loving on your people. All right, Mike Hardy and Rick Mount, thanks so much for joining us today on Coffee with Todd. It's been an exceptional 35 minutes. I know that there's much more that you could share, and I know that time will present itself. But thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining. And thanks, everybody, for coming on live with Coffee with Todd today. 